Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Hi, Marjorie. Hey, lady. You had um, quite a homecoming from your little vacation. Man, what a bummer. Listen, I hate to be the downer in the conversation, but that's where I'm at today. Today, Marjorie, on Best to the Nest, we are talking about uh, when someone comes in and steals from your nest. And yeah. that's where I'm at in Minneapolis today. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm like a little fragile. I'm a fragile bird in my nest. And so yeah. if I get teary... Um, well, you guys listen to the podcast, you know how it goes, but yes. um, we were burglarized over the weekend for the first time since living in Minneapolis. I've lived in the city of Minneapolis for about 15 years. I'm so sorry. Uh, I've had, this is my second home that I've owned in the city of Minneapolis. As you know, I'm a very proud city resident, but my feathers are a little ruffled today. As we've talked about in the past, I grew up in the city of Chicago in the seventies. My parents were robbed. And I remember it, I was about eight. And the the only thing that I can share because I was a child, so my feelings were very different than what your feelings are right now, is I just remember the feeling of vulnerability. Right. Being very vulnerable. And so I'm sorry this has happened to you. Thank you. It um, you know, it brings up a lot. And I think it's interesting to hear you talk about that as being a kid, because of course I have an eight-year-old too. And yep. so um, basically what happened was we were out of town over the weekend. We were at a friend's cabin, which is one of our favorite annual traditions. And, um, our neighbors had been burglarized last week. We are now the fifth home in our neighborhood in the last week and a half to be hit mm. by this, what I think is probably the same group of people or ring right. of people. Right. We have, all the things in place. Everybody has cameras. We have lights. We lock our doors. We have our neighbors looking out for our homes. We know, you know, when people are coming and going. And, um, and so when my neighbor who, um, had been staying not at her home because she'd been burglarized and her husband was out of town over the weekend. So she took her boys and went to her mom's she woke up on Sunday morning and had notifications that there was um, activity on her cameras. And it was activity when she looked at it of people going into our backyard. Oh, so she wow. came home and went and checked right away and saw that our door had been smashed in, that oh. clearly people had been in the house. Um, 
they'd smashed some things in the home and stolen some things. And then they'd left the back sliding door just completely wide open. And she had to make a call that was so terrible. That was, you guys just got hit too. And I'm so sorry. I saw video of my neighbor behind us who has video on our garage. You know, it shows her garage and then ours. We live in the city, so we're very close to everybody. So like, right, right. we have a big yard, but you can see everything that's going on. And I watched the video this morning of these young guys. And I can see by the way that they move. And, you know, you can kind of hear from their voices as they were laughing. Oh. I mean, they were laughing as they left my house with my stuff after they damaged my property and I just I mean I am so upset I can like barely even function because it's such a betrayal on so many levels it's such a violation on so many levels and I think I you know how I kind of look at things and I can see I'm coming from a real place of gratitude for many things. Number one, that they stayed on the first floor. Number one, number two, that they didn't totally trash my house. Be above all of that, that we were not here and that that no one was hurt. But I am also just, when it comes to big picture, I just feel like, you know, I have a public job in this world where a lot of people know that I live in the city of Minneapolis and Marjorie, I get messages daily from people who are like, you should leave Minneapolis. Like you shouldn't have your kids in Minneapolis. And I get where they're coming from because I certainly understand the perspective that people have of city living. And I understand the perspective that people have of the crime in Minneapolis because it's right. a problem. Right. Um, but I have been so strong and my husband and I have been collectively very dedicated to where we live And we are very committed to putting our money where our mouth is when it comes to, you know, we want to be part of a diverse, strong, vibrant community. We also want to live a life that involves us not being in the car for 40 minutes each way to and from work. We want to dedicate that time to our family. Right. And that dedication, let's not let's not gloss over that. It's very much the way my parents felt in Chicago in the 1970s, where there was a lot of crime and All of their friends, we moved from the suburbs when I was six into the city, and all of those suburban friends were kind of shocked. I think sometimes when you see news stories and you see things about places where crime is happening, it's so easy to become fearful because you only see that and you don't see the vibrancy that living in a city gives you. And my parents loved the city. My mother, that was her great sadness when she had to leave the city at 87. She had, she, she lived six blocks from where she grew up. You know, she loved Chicago. And so that, that dedication is not something to take lightly as like, if I were a, uh, a mayor or a city council person, any community is stronger because of diversity. And when I say that, that means diversity of all kinds. It means economic diversity. It means um, social diversity. It means ethnic diversity. Any community is stronger. When, when, it, when it starts to sort of live in the extremes, that's not healthy. It's not healthy for a country. It's not healthy for a city. And so your commitment to living in the city is a good thing. And as if I were a politician, that you need to 
you need to have a community that's that that is rich in that way, that is diverse in that way. And so that's not a small thing to be committed to, because what you're committing to is the health of a city, a vibrancy of the city that gets lost when people are fearful. Yes, 100%. And I love how you articulated that because that's exactly how how we feel. And you're right. It is easy for people to go, oh, it's Murderapolis, whatever. Ugh. Let's just let it go, which just makes my blood oh. boil because I've lived here for 15 years and I have had the vast majority of my experiences in this city have been peaceful and positive and wonderful. And when I walk up and down the river, I am greeted with smiles and people who chat. And we, if someone is stopping and looking at a bird, other people stop and look at the bird with the person. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, this that. is like <laughs> the kind that. of stuff that happens all the time. Right. I'm like, what did you hear? That's an owl. Let's identify right. the bird. I mean, we've got a lot of birding people around here. They're very into it. But we also have a major crime problem. If you don't have people who are living in the city and living in homes and paying significant property taxes, you've got your problem. and if people don't feel safe, they cannot stay in their homes. It's so amazing to me because we have a very communicative neighborhood group. We all, we got on a big neighborhood WhatsApp chat during the civil unrest in the summer of 2020. And I've talked about this before where our neighborhood is, I mean, there are people of all religions, all skin colors, different backgrounds, some people who grew up in the suburbs, some people grew up in the city. There are people who are big houses, small houses. Um, there are older people. There are people with young kids. It is a very diverse neighborhood. And I will tell you that we are all coming together, regardless of how we might feel. We have different political views, but this is unacceptable. It's right. just completely unacceptable. And, and I fired off strongly worded emails to our city council person and our mayor today I had to talk with a police sergeant today who's investigating this case. And the difficulty is, I think the problem is that we just, we are at such, such extremes and the middle is the one that's suffering. Yes. So you have all these people who say we need, no, we need, the police should have all the power. And then you have this other side that says defund the police. We can't have any police. Well, right now, guess who's suffering? Those of us who say we want a responsible police force in this city right. that is going to protect us and keep crime at a minimum. And we we do not have that. I talked to the sergeant today who told me we have 500 officers in a city that needs 1,000. I cried on the phone to him. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank it's you. what any what any city needs is a well-funded, well-trained, responsible police force. Right. That that shouldn't that to me that shouldn't be a, a controversial statement. It it is. We need here. to. Say, I know it is. I know it is. And but the I mean, problem you say is, that here, and it will be. It's just very difficult. But people need to feel safe, and when I say that, I mean all people, and that goes Everyone. back to that goes back to training, and right. you know the vulnerability that I may have felt when I was eight. I lived in a not so safe neighborhood in the middle of the city. But I think if we want to look at this in with a whole, sort of with a whole lens, difficult neighborhoods, neighborhoods that are riddled by crime. I think in this moment, we can take 
how I felt when I was eight, how you're feeling now, and understanding right. that neighborhoods that have lived with high crime rates for years, how angry they are. And with good, with good reason, we should be able, all of us should be able to feel safe in our homes. All of us, no matter what color your skin is, should feel safe when you're driving down a street. So the problems that the police have had within the African-American community in terms of African-Americans feeling unsafe because of the police, well, that is unacceptable. Of course, right. Right. of course, that is not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about is feeling safe in your home, all of us, and how horrible it feels when you feel that that's been violated. And that no matter what you have in this world, whether you're renting an apartment, whether, whether you know, whether, whether, wherever you are on the socioeconomic scale, I think we all deserve to feel safe, at the very least, behind the walls of our home. Exactly. A hundred percent. It is. Um, and let me just be clear, too. It was a diverse group of criminals who struck our house. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can see them. It's the emotional trauma that comes along with a violation of this sort and feeling afraid. You know, we go to sleep last night in our house that we love this home. And Jay sleeps on the on the main level in the front window. Yeah. And can't sleep because he's sitting there watching and listening. It's it's and I just like. And then when you, when you talk to the police sergeant and he says, I, you know, he's so wonderful and responsive and thorough and all of these things. But when he's hearing, he tells me that he's hearing these types of calls. And, you know, I'm breaking down after giving him all the information I can. I'm breaking down and begging this person to help me. Oh, sweetie. And there's nothing they can do because they don't have any people to patrol between three and 5 a.m. And, and again, and then I just keep hearing the laughter of these sick men who came into my house, completely disregarding. When you walk into our backyard, Marjorie, I mean, you see kids' toys. There's little tractors that they ride on. There's tiny furniture that they sit on when they like build their forts in the backyard. There's little baseball bats and plastic balls in the backyard. It is very clear from our backyard that you can see because there are lights on outside that it is a home where there are children and where there are young children. And the disgust I have for people who have absolutely no regard for children just makes me, I want to throw up. It just enrages me. And frankly, had I been here when this had happened, I don't know if I'd be able to come home. Yeah, It's just it's so violating. And I think the thing that we've really lost as a society is, you know, we've labeled crimes as, okay, this is a certain, this is a crime of a certain level. This is a crime of a certain level. And no one takes into account that there is an emotional toll that is taken on people when a crime is committed against them. And I don't care if they stole $50 or $500 or $50,000 from my house. That emotional trauma that you have put someone through is is worth it's priceless it's terrible it's traumatizing and it will be carried with me and 
the emotional, the sense of safety that you've taken from someone when you do this, when you say, oh, it's just like a minor smash and grab crime. No, it's not. You smashed and grabbed my sense of safety and security in my home. Right. And that is unacceptable. And that, and that is the key really to all of this is it's not, it's not, of course it's about the stuff, but it's not about the stuff. It's about the fragility of how we move through the world. And I think the realization, at least this was for me as a very young girl, it's a realization that the feeling of safety and security is fragile and in its own way is a privilege because it can be taken away. And so I think that's the really hard realization when it's when it is emotional trauma. The emotional trauma is how you have been existing in the world now is different. Which explains why Jay feels the need to sleep downstairs and look out the window. So a sense of safety has been shattered. And that is, if they hadn't taken anything and your back door was smashed and open, I would imagine, at least for me, the feeling would be the same. Which is why it's not about the stuff. Yeah. It's not about the stuff. It's about, you know, in, in my parents' case, when they came and stole everything of value that my parents had, what they, it was very odd. They left, my mom had this beautiful china that was her wedding china. And when we discovered it, I mean, in, in the chaos that was my family life, and this is kind of funny in retrospect, they didn't notice that all the stuff was gone for like a week. Until somebody like was in the living room and the wedding china was in the middle of the living room floor. And what the police thought was that wow. somebody was home. And then they heard somebody and then they ran. Oh. And so they just put it down and ran. And so that's, again, not about the stuff. It's that idea that we have a perception that we all like to live with. That we can create something the walls around us create a perimeter. They create our nest and that that nest is impenetrable. And when that's shattered, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's totally heartbreaking. Yeah. And explaining to your children that they have to watch out for glass on the floor and Did they understand wear shoes what happened? while we're yeah. I mean, we had to tell them we're going to go home yeah. and we were so fortunate that Jay has a couple of amazing friends, one who came over and called the police right away. And then they, um, cleaned up the glass for us oh. and boarded up our door for us so that our children wouldn't come home to glass everywhere and right. us trying to like unpack and manage three kids and keep them out of the way of glass. Right. They took these, um, you know, these it's, these guys took a jar. We had a giant jar of change. So mm. we have like a quart sized jar of change. You know, Jay just puts change in it. And for some reason, it's been in the kitchen for like the last two weeks. And it has been kind of irritating me that I've been like, why is this thing in the kitchen? Where right. did it come from? And where right. is it going? And there were some bills in it too. The change, Marjorie, probably it's probably a hundred bucks in change. It's yeah. a lot of quarters. Yeah. And, um, they picked up the jar and they smashed the jar on the floor and the change went flying everywhere. And they took the bills, like instead of just taking the whole jar of change. Right. And then we just noticed too, you know, you don't, this is what happens too. You're right. Like you don't notice. Right. 
I made coffee and I looked up and I was like, oh my gosh, Jay, your alcohol's gone. Like five bottles of alcohol that was on our bar are gone of these like really nice whiskeys that were, that are gone, a great bottle of scotch that's gone. And then they took my credit card and tried to use it at a liquor store. (sighs) I'm like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. What is wrong with you? And I think that's the other thing that I get so sad about with this stuff. It's the violation of my space, but it's also just a broken feeling for these broken people because this is who's out there and this is what they're doing. And it like devastates me that I truly believe that every life is matters and is a gift and is an opportunity. And there are just these broken people who are everywhere whose only goal is to destroy what others have built and it's tragic to me and 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 the hard part about that is and I think that's why the laughter resonates with me as well is because it just more than anything accentuates that brokenness and that length that lack of empathy and understanding of what they're actually destroying because if they took liquor, they took change, they took other things, again, not the stuff. But not only do they not care about that they took your stuff, they don't care about sort of the lingering emotional effect that that'll have on the five homes that they that they may have burgled if it's the same people. And then in addition to that is the damage that they've done to the community at large. It's I mean, this, hundreds of people, yeah, yeah, that are impacted like by this. Yeah. And that was why when I wrote to the to the city council and to the mayor begging for help. Um, you know, it's, I just feel like we're in a situation where everything has been so overly politicized that people forget that we are real humans living our lives in this city and we are real families and we don't deserve this. And it's just, it's the fight to be right. It's just this constant fight to be right. Instead of actually thinking about how this is impacting and how what they do impacts individual people. And I've lived through a lot of not feeling safe here in the last few years. And I know, and I I mean, I'm going to speak collectively for my neighborhood because I know that we all feel this way. And it is feeling, um, it's just feeling overwhelming at this point. And it's feeling like because we're so divided and this is happening all over the country, we're so divided. We are st- absolutely stuck at a standstill and nothing can move forward or get better for anyone. Well, this is, I mean, now we're going to take it wider out into politics. And I, I will tell you, what are the we can't run a country on politics of blame, hate, suspicion. The democracy works in the middle way. Mm-hmm. Democracy works in compromise. And there are a lot of sins this country has committed that need to be reckoned with, but they will not be reckoned with through hate or violence or untruthfulness. And I think, you know, one of the most powerful lessons for me, I got when I was seven, I was probably 17 in terms of politics. And I get very emotional about politics, but 
I will never forget in when I was a page, I was a, what was called a cloakroom page. And it meant that I was on the house floor. And I'll never forget this. I had come out of the cloakroom because there was a particularly good debate going on on the house floor. And I'm watching, and it was George Miller of California and Millicent Fenwick, who, if you don't know who she is, look her up. She was a Republican congresswoman, I believe, from Connecticut. She's long since passed, because this would have been 19, I think, 82. And I'm watching the debate, and I can't remember what they were debating about. All I remember is when it was over, Millicent Fenwick, who was old then, I mean, she was probably in her 70s then, tiny, delicate woman. One of the characters in Doonesbury is modeled after Millicent Fenwick. And George Miller, who was this, he was a Democrat, was this big bear of a man with a big mustache. And so, you know, I'm a page and I'm all of probably 92 pounds. George Miller was six. So he <laughs> loomed large in my imagination, big guy. And at the end of this debate, they came to the middle of the aisle and they sort of shook hands and were laughing. And I'm not trying to make that it was like politics was like this nirvana in the 80s because it was not and it never has been and excluded women, people of color. So this was not, I am not so Pollyannish to say in 1982 that politics was great. Reagan was president at the time. My only point was that for a moment, it seemed like the middle way that these two people who are on opposite sides of an issue could shake hands and laugh and look at it for what it was, which was a discussion and trying to find the best way to solve whatever problem, whatever they were discussing. And so for me, what's very difficult is when we see our politicians not be able to find a middle way, what hope is there? It's very distressing. And, and you take that from the national politics to the state politics to local politics. It, it puts exactly what you said, Elizabeth, it forces us to a standstill. Yeah. And part of the problem is in this polarization, if we're polarized, even on the local level, these crimes that affect our everyday life, these, these issues that affect our everyday life in that polarization can, can't be solved. And so here you are and your neighborhood is stuck in the middle of a polarized, of a polarized issue, which is what do we do about the police? Well, while they're trying to figure it out on each end of the spectrum, the vacuum becomes chaos. Mm -hmm which is where you guys are forced to live. And you cannot raise a family in chaos. And You're that's exactly right. That's the hardest part for me about, you know, we can watch Fox or MSNBC or anything, but this is what we're talking about. This is the micro that we're talking about is how do we live every day and love one another and respect one another and make sure that everybody feels included in process without it being coming polarized. Mm -hmm. very difficult. Right. And when you resort to calling people names and dehumanizing them, if they have an opinion that's different than yours, that is when the standstill grows ever yeah. more firm. Yeah. There is no way to move forward because if you look at someone who thinks differently than you as less than human and you put them into categories of being you know, even really throwing out the term phobic is very difficult. I mean, that needs to be used in, in times when there are, when you can substantiate that it, right. you can't just categorize people like that. You, we have to figure out a way to have conversations because you're right, because the problem here is that 
we had a major crisis um, with George Floyd in the summer of 2020 that led to a whole cascade of things happening. But since then, there has been in a complete inability to come up with a plan to move forward. I mean, we just got a message from our city council person about we're bringing together to pe for people to create a plan. Well, it's been four years, you know, three and a half years since the third precinct burned down. We, we're past the point of needing the plan. We needed the plan three right. years ago. It's not just, well, now we're going to talk about the plan. Guys, the plan, it, it, it's what is happening right now is not working. Well, you can't deconstruct here. You can't deconstruct without reconstructing. Exactly, one hundred percent. Yes, that's the problem. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And so, um, and then who's going to be the one that pays the price while these people try to figure it out and while they battle back and forth about who's right? It's always the people who are on the ground who pay the price, and you see this over and over again. And, um. And it's very, it's deeply troubling. And again, like, I just always want to be clear that because I'm going to get messages from people who say, well, it could be worse, or you could be living in this, or you could be that. And I, I hear you, I hear you, but at the bot, the bottom line here, I am a mother of three children and my number one priority in my life is to keep those children safe. Yes. That's it. That is it. And I will fight till the death to make sure that that happens. Right. So I don't really want to hear it could be worse. Yes, it could be. It could always be worse. If somebody gets, you know, if someone breaks their leg, you can say, well, at least you have a leg. You know, if, if you can say that over and over again. And again, that whataboutism is completely useless. Whataboutism does not solve problems. Whataboutism diverts from the real issue and stops conversation and stops progress. And that's where we're at. Well, and I think what, I mean, the hope of this, the rebuilding of this, and the rebuilding of your sense of agency and control will come from community activism. And that's about, because once something like this happens, you either make a choice, and this is a personal choice, which I'm not asking you to discuss today or to decide today, but the choice that any neighborhood anybody that's going through this, the choice becomes, do I just leave? And that's what Minneapolis or any major city, you know, my son lives in Chicago where there is a major crime issue. The, this, any city has to think about what will we do to make sure that people want to stay in this city? And so for you, the decision will have to be, do I stay or do I go? And then if you say, I'm going to stay, I think you'll probably come to a similar conclusion that my parents had to come to when they decided to stay in the city is they were very, very, they were community activists. They were very political. They were very outspoken. Um, and that, that becomes, but that takes energy and that takes time. Right. And that's it. And that can be a good thing, but it's also a difficult thing when you're full-time working full-time and you have three kids. It's like, how much more can you put on your plate? But that, I mean, I think those are the conversations that are going to be sort of surrounding you or running through your mind, or you're going to be having with Jay going forward, I would imagine. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, 
Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Those are the conversations that are happening. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Because, yeah. Um, you know, there are trade-offs to everything. And yeah. I do feel the one thing that I feel so grateful for is I just, I mean, I said it to our neighborhood today. I just said, I'm so grateful for these neighbors. I mean, these people are incredible and it's just the constant outpouring of not only, I am so sorry this happened to you, but the, um, but what can we do to help and how can we stand up to, and we will not have our voices silenced. And the amount of people who said, I wrote to our city council person, I wrote to the mayor, I called and requested more patrols. I wrote to the city council person and said, Good. we need a plan here, all these things. Um, but you're right. I mean, the difficult thing is on an individual basis, you have to decide what's what's the time. And, you know, I will say too, when you talk about this with people, you certainly hear about, we have a crime problem around this country in many cities and in yep. many communities. And yep. just because you move to the suburbs does not mean that you escape crime. There are all sorts of things that happen all over the place. I think what what is a little bit different about this situation is it feels like we are in the middle of um of an area being terrorized by these criminals because a one-off deal is a one-off deal and that sucks. I mean, that's not fair, that's okay, not okay and that happens. This is a consistent terrorizing and traumatizing of a neighborhood is what's happening. It's being targeted. And it's being targeted and it is so um you know, we just have so many amazing things here that are so beautiful and peaceful and glorious. But I think even at its, at its bigger picture, you know, we have to decide as a society, you know, that small, I'm going to put that in quotes, small crimes, right? I'm going to put that in quotes because for all intents and purposes, this is a small crime, that those matter. And that when you allow those things to continue to go on, you just embolden people. Those guys laughed as they left my house with right. my stuff after damaging my property. Right. After clearly going into a home that has children, they laughed. If they laugh at that, what will they laugh at next? The next thing. Every one of these crimes just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm telling you, I'm like, at some point, this is going to end up in a confrontation that's going to end up in somebody dead because someone's going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. I am heartbroken for you because I know I haven't lived it as an adult, but I know sort of the mental sort of repair that will have to happen for you to feel safe again. Yeah. And it's not a short road. And so I'm, that is not where you wanted to be on this Monday morning or you wanted your kids to be, or you wanted your husband to be. So I'm sorry for that. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate everyone who listens. And this isn't something that I plan on talking about in other areas of my media life. Frankly, I don't even know if I could get through it. And I also think it gets so complex that you have to have some time and some space to be able yeah. to have the conversation. But I don't I don't know what the solution is. I just know that that the, we just have to keep focusing on these micro like just like what we talk about here which is strengthening people's homes and strengthening their families because I think our only hope is to just try to reduce the number of babies who grow into young people who grow into 
humans like the men that broke into my house, we have to raise people who don't find joy in other people's pain. That is at its core what we need. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Marjorie, they might say Elizabeth's a downer after this one. Sorry. (laughs) Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home.